Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to another episode of the Initial Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and special edition this week coming to you from Mexico, getting a little bit of time off. I know that's a, a new concept for me, but I am enjoying my time here so far and looking to just try to disconnect for a little bit and uh, regroup and recharge, as most of the industry kind of is right now. You know, Red Bull Straight Rhythm went on uh, last night. Um, I did not get to watch it, but it looked like a really cool event. Um, Jeremy Malott and the Red Bull crew always do a great job, you know, Huntington Beach and really cool environment. The track looked, you know, it, they always do a great job. Jason Baker with Dream Tracks always builds, uh, you know, the best best uh, layouts you can hope for at a, in an event like that. And, and the undertaking they went through, if you've <laughs> looked into that at all, what they had, the hoops they had to jump through to uh, pull off an event on the beach in Huntington sounded like a just Herculean effort. Uh, so good job to them. It looked cool. Uh, but this podcast will not be covering that because I didn't watch it. I do want to talk about what we saw at World Supercross and all of the dynamics kind of surrounding not only that event, but just that concept and the implications for what that means versus super motocross and all the powers that be. Because trust me, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack. And I don't know everything about it. I don't, you know, I'm not a, a decision maker in that world, uh, but I, I do have connections there and I do hear and see a lot that maybe, maybe you don't. So we'll, we'll get into that and I'll, I'll share my opinions and some of my foresight, what may come to pass or what may not. Um, you know, very, very much uh, open to being wrong. That can certainly Things may not unfold the way I think that they might, but um, yeah, we all, have, we all have our opinions and our guesses as to what comes from all this. Before we get too far into this, let's thank the sponsors of this podcast as always. Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, TL Speed Shop, Fast Foundry, Grant Stone Boots, Fly Racing, and Pro Glow Wash. If you guys have never tried Pro Glow Wash, you guys got to check that stuff out. Um, it works amazing. I actually washed my street bike with it the other day because it's get, starting to get cold, and I don't know if I'm going to ride anymore, so I was kind of prepping it for winter, cleaning it up. I know that's sad, but um, yeah, Pro Glow Wash is uh, amazing. Got all the just chain, you know, glue, not glue, uh, residue stuff off of, uh, you know, my street bike swing arm and all the road grime, which is nice. So great product there, but thank you to everybody. Uh, I actually have a new product from work connection that we're going to talk about a little bit later as well. 
But without further ado, let's just jump into this, go straight to it. As I'm in Mexico, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my vacation down here, right? I want to do the best, give you the best content possible, but I also want to get back to the pool to be hundred uh, percent honest. So World Supercross last weekend, we saw in Cardiff, they're in, they were in Wales, which if you don't know where Wales is, it's, it's right next to England. M- many people think it is actually England. It's, it's not, they have their own language, they have their own culture. And, uh, I'm trying to think if I've been, I actually think I might have Welsh heritage, um, but it wasn't the first time they've ever had a race there. Uh, you know, you, the UK, they've had their own Supercross series, Arena Cross series for a very long time. Uh, I participated in some of those back in my own racing adventures. So I think most people are looking at this like, oh man, how is a race going to go over there? Blah, blah. I figured it would be just the same as it always been, you know, decent turnout, successful. You know, the questions are, it's, new promoter group for this event being this world supercross crew who typically has been working with the australia series uh these guys adam bailey and uh you know it's it's a new crew right that's that's expanding they have money from a qatari investment group it's not saudi money it's from qatar or cutter however you want to say it so it's a little bit of a different dynamic and they are spending money hand over fist to put this series on. Now that to me is your biggest question. We'll talk about the race a little bit, but I'm going to dive right into the dynamics behind this series because to me, this is what I, what doesn't really make sense to me is I hear some of the numbers spent behind the scenes, money on travel. You know, some of these guys are getting first class travel around the world, riders, uh, ops crew, things like that. I've heard some of the numbers being spent on travel. You know, if you see like Chad Reed and his family flying business and first around the world, you know, over to Wales, to Australia, all over the place. Um, these are very, very expensive travel budgets. Okay. And that's great. I'm happy for those that are getting to fly business. That's awesome. Good for them. This is not meant to be a discredit to them. I would be very thankful if I was them and and getting to do the same thing. But my problem comes in is I don't know how you can be profitable with this type of cash burn. I don't, I simply don't see the equation penciling out. I just don't. And it's not up to me to do that, right? It it doesn't matter big picture if I can figure out the, the finances and the economics or not to where I think it's a good business plan. That that's irrelevant, but this is what we do. We speculate, we talk, we look at it objectively because I don't really care and say, is this going to work or is this going to be another flash in the pan where they spend a ton of money for two or three years and they realize that this was a bad investment idea and whoever, you know, this Qatari investment group, they pull the plug because they don't see any possibility of an ROI and make no mistake at the end of the day, they want return on all of this spend. That's why they're doing it. It's not from the kindness of their hearts. This isn't some sort of goodwill gesture towards the sport. They want to be profitable long term, right? And I think they're willing to lay out a lot of money on the front end to realize a return on the back end. And that's where I think I get confused is I don't see a pathway 
to recoup this amount of money, okay? Now, spending is, you know, it's a necessity. You have to spend money in most avenues. You have to spend money to make money. We've all heard that, right? It's a really commonly used cliche, but you have to make smart spend, especially in this environment where capital is not cheap. You can't just go raise capital from investors or private equity or whatever at a whim or on a whim like you could for the last two years. That environment has deteriorated down to virtually nothing. So every dollar you spend right now, you need to be very, very calculated in how you do it. And you need to understand that it has to be spent with what is your gonna, what's going to be your rate of return on that dollar spent. And if you can't find a way for that, to, it, if it doesn't ever make sense and you can't ever find a pathway to profitability, like what are you doing? You know, other than just burning money. Like, and there are lots of companies out there in this world that are doing it. it. Happens every day. I just, I get confused on the purpose of this. If they, and maybe they do, right? I'm, there are smart people behind the scenes doing this. So I'm sure that they have a business plan that leads to profitability. Otherwise, why, you know, why would anybody fund this project? I obviously have not been clued into that. No one, you know, why would they show me that? But I'm trying to devise one and I, I can't, right? I, I just can't do it. The sport is too small. As far as endemic sponsorship, everybody's pretty much tapped. Um, you, you, you know, and I, I, that is the side of the business that I do know a lot about and, and I do have insight on because I talk to these companies. I talk to the people that can be influential that do make the decisions on spending. They, they are in charge of the marketing budgets. And I know everybody's right up against the top end of the range on spend. Like no one's actively looking to go out and spend more money right now. You know, if, if, if they are, it's, it's minimal, right? They have minimal budget left to deploy to a series like this or new teams or whatever. So it's really challenged. That's, that's really where I'm coming from is like, I don't know how this makes money other than a few dynamics, right? And I think this is what they're dependent on. I think they're going to absolutely need these government appropriations to come in, right? Say like they, they, they want to go to Indonesia, right? Jakarta was on the schedule until it wasn't. And I think they absolutely had to have the Indonesian government give them a bunch of money, for lack of a better term, to run this event. And if you know anything about MXGP, that's a big reason they visit these countries is that they have relationships with the governments in these countries these governments want to expand their tourism business. They want to have a better perception by the outside world of their country. And a person like me, right? I love to travel. Okay. I've never been to Indonesia. I've never been to Vietnam, which is on the MXGP schedule next year. I've never been to some of these places. Okay. But I am very willing to travel. I, I love it. I enjoy it. It's, it's something that I will hopefully continue to do for the rest of my life. So when I see these events go on, whether it's MotoGP, MXGP, Formula One, whatever I'm watching, at some, I don't want to say exotic location, but some far off place that I maybe want to go. Argentina, 
perfect example. Both MXGP and MotoGP go there. It looks amazing. It looks beautiful, right? So it's been on my short list of events I want to visit. That's what these governments are in part, I'm not saying all of it, but in part trying to accomplish. They want to incentivize and tempt tourism dollars to come to their country. And they also, it's just a normal part of their spend, right? They, they want to increase business and bring these, you know, these uh, enterprises to their country. Like they bring all these teams in, all these outside industry, you know, Monster has representatives go there and they all see these markets and maybe that intrigues them to spend more money in these markets. And there's a lot of residual things that can happen. But the point is, these countries are giving them lots of money to come because otherwise it's not possible. It's not profitable. It's possible if you want to spend a ton of money, it's, it's certainly possible, but it's not profitable or it doesn't even break even. And these companies, whether it's Dorna for uh, MotoGP or Infront for MXGP or whoever, uh, what is it, Liberty Media for Formula One, they are for-profit enterprises. They are not trying to go to events to lose money, right? Every event on the calendar is supposed to be to make money for, the, for their business. That's what they're there for. So if they're, they're not going to put something on the schedule that's going to be a huge money loser. So when it all pencils out, without this government money that they can either basically write a check to in front or they can work out a deal with the organizer of the event write them a check, which then that organizer has to write a check to in front. And I think, I, and don't hold me to this, okay? I'm just trying to share the information that I hear. And, and this isn't set in stone. This is just hearsay. But I, I want to say it's around, I think it's around a million euros, something like that, um, to hold an event. And that's a round figure. I've heard higher and I've heard lower, and maybe it's a dynamic number, right? Maybe they assess the market. Maybe they look at their fixed costs of running an event. Say, if, you know, if, it, if it's an event like Vietnam or Indonesia, that's going to be a much more expensive proposition versus a race in the USA, okay? Right? Just the cost of getting there, the cost of shipping, everything costs more when you go double the distance, okay? So I, I, I would bet it's a moving target as far as how much it costs to execute the event, but it's really expensive point being. And for a promoter or an organizer, that term they would use organizer to just write a check. And I have heard anywhere from 300 to 500,000 upfront that they have to basically send over to secure this event on the calendar and get things in motion. That is a huge gamble without, or it may be an impossibility without, government assistance. Okay. So circling, bringing this full circle for these events for Indonesian world supercross for, you know, they want to go eight to 12 events next year, I think is the plan. And then more the year after, um, we'll see. I, I, I hear moving numbers all the time. I hear six next year. I heard eight. I've heard up to 12. I don't know. Right. They only were able to pull off two this year and it was supposed to be four because the other two ended up bailing. Because, in my opinion, lack of funding. The world is entering a global recession, most likely, right? No guarantees, but it certainly looks that way. So in that environment, 
when I think, are these governments around the world going to say, yeah, no problem, World Supercross, we're going to write a check to you that we didn't have budgeted in the past. Look at what the UK is going through. The UK is going through financial hell right now. I don't see a big incentive or a lot of motivation for these countries to go out and write checks to, to World Supercross. And, and that's my, that is just my guess. I could be way off. Maybe they pull off 10 races next year. Good for them. I don't care. I don't have a, a dog in this fight per se, nor do I wish them any ill will. I just am look, trying to look at it objectively and understand the business side of this. And if you don't care about any of that, we're going to get to the racing in a minute, I promise. But I'm trying to work through, is this a viable long-term series, right? You know, the FIM is involved. This is a, you know, they have deemed it a true world supercross, world championship, right? Is this going to be around? And to me, the only way something can stick around is if it makes money. If it's a perpetual money loser, we, we all know how that ends, right? Because people, even the richest of people get tired of throwing, just throwing money away. You know, if they're, if they're not getting some huge tax write-off from it or there's some other angle to work that I don't know about, people get tired of throwing money at losers all the time, just year on year on year. They, there has to be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And, may, you know, hopefully there is. Hopefully the world gets in a better place financially and these events make sense and governments all welcome them with open arms and they get their budget sent to them. And yeah, we would love to have, you know, a Supercross event in Paris and Budapest and more in Australia and in Indonesia and Tokyo. I know Tokyo's high on their list and maybe Shanghai and and all these places. I know when they look at the market and they look at where all the people are centralized and they look at emerging markets of where they could capitalize, it's all the places you and I would think of first, right? Think of where emerging markets are. If you don't know anything about emerging markets, just Google it. Those are places they want to be. They want to be in Japan because all the OEMs are there, right? There, there are a lot of things that are obvious motivating factors. I just don't, again, it, I'm beating a dead horse, but I don't, I don't get it. I don't know how this makes sense. And I want to learn more. I, I'm, watching very closely. I'm trying to understand the math. But when I hear, I look at the, the purse they paid out. Uh, what was it? 180,000, I think, at the first round they paid out in purse. That's not counting. I think they paid Rocks and Tomac each, each, 150 to 200,000, something like that. And I'm very confident in that number. So add on another, let's say the low end of that. Let's say even lower. Let's go 250 to 300,000. There's no way on God's green earth they paid less than that total for those two guys at the first round. I, I'm just telling you, there's no way. So add on to the purse another 150,000. Let's take their, maybe they didn't qualify for purse. So let's take that even out of it. Let's get even more aggressive. Let's add on another 150,000. So now we're like 330, 350, somewhere a range like that of spend between purse and travel for that's not even counting travel. That's just purse and start money for riders. Okay. And I would guess a guy like Chad Reed, he probably got start money with the name he has. A lot of these guys deserve and got some sort of start money, which could have canceled out their purse. So there's a, there's a, 
cross current there where say a guy like Chad Reed, he, he didn't finish, but say he would have gotten, had he finished, so let's say he got fifth, he would have gotten, I don't know, 7,000. He probably got 20 grand to show up, maybe more. Um, so that's a cross current. It pushes the budget higher, but he didn't get that 7,000 also, right? And that, that's a normal deal for like Bercy or a lot of these races. That's how it goes. If you get a huge start money check, you don't qualify for person. They just wipe that out. So that just, that item line on the spreadsheet for budget just gets wiped out. But in the end, it is higher. So calculate travel, okay? I saw some expense budget travel stuff like tickets, you know, 20 grand, right? For like one round trip business ticket for the first round, 20 grand, okay? Second round, another one, another 20,000. So you're talking about these key guys, you know, 20 grand per person times how many? How many of these guys, whether it's the ops crew on the broadcast side or the key riders, the Tomacs and the Roxons and their families and the Reeds and the big names, you're talking, I'll go, I saw receipts for that, that 20K number, okay? Let's bring it down to something more reasonable, which I would think would be for something like Cardiff would be in the five to eight K range right now. Ticket airline tickets are crazy expensive times. How many people? A lot. Okay. Now think about Australia, even more expensive. I'll show you tickets are all, I mean, just a, just a coach ticket to Australia is around three grand usually nowadays. Anyway, that's, those are 15 to 20 all day long. They just, that's what they are. To go first class or business to Australia right now, that's what it costs because of limited availability. Airlines are not flying as many flights. They're trying to fill every seat and it's just it just costs that much money. So it doesn't matter a hard number. I'm just telling you the costs for these events are outrageous, outrageous. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. So we're gonna move on. Um, I probably talked about that for far too long. But to me, it's really, really interesting trying to watch this fledgling series get off the ground, recruit riders, get sponsors on board, which has been challenging, get OEMs on board, which has been even more challenging, get, uh, you know, fill, fill seats, put butts in seats, sell tickets, get their television broadcast rights and all that off the ground, get their stream off the ground. All these things have to happen and it all costs a lot of money. So... We will see. I, I'm really trying to be open-minded and not have any preconceived notion, but so far, my only, my only real thought is that, wow, are they spending a lot of money. So that's it. Let's talk about racing. Let's get into what actually happened. I apologize. If you hated that whole business talk, I'm sorry, but it's, it's really, really interesting to me. Um, if, if you have thoughts on that, please you know, DM me on Instagram. You can email me. You can reach out however you choose to. Uh, tweet me, whatever. Uh, but I, I like to learn. So if you have, you know, thoughts that you can add to it, or maybe I'm overlooking something, or I'm, I mean, I'm not a MBA, right? But I, I've been around the sport a long time, so I like to learn. If you have insights on that stuff, please share. I, I would love to to hear from all of you listeners out there. So the racing side. I mean, it was okay, right? And I, I'm, 
if you hear me, you hear me sigh because it, it was a little bit boring. Like Tomac wins all three. The first one was pretty good until, Tom, until uh, Roxon crashed. But the rest of them, it was just like guys were going through the motions a little bit. And it was because the track was so slippery. Uh, the dirt looked great on, from you know, a thousand yard view. But up close, you could tell it was, it was really, really deceiving. And guys were losing traction everywhere because you could see the result. You could see the crashing. You could see the guys losing the front end. You saw all the big crashes that went on. And that's just lack of traction. And guys making big mistakes. And these are, you know, some of the best riders in the world making these big mistakes. So, to me, the racing was eh, not thrilling. You know, Freezy did great. Roxon did probably what I thought he would do. And Tomac did what I thought he would do, which was win. And I think they were all trying to not make some sort of critical error and hurt themselves, which happened anyway. You saw Josh Grant. You saw Chad Reed. Those weren't their faults, but it still happened. You saw Dean Wilson have a big one. Um... But I think for guys like Tomac and Roxon, you know, Tomac is your, obviously your reigning Monster Energy Supercross champion. And this is the only off-season race. Well, maybe he's doing Bursi too. But I can tell, I can guarantee you, above all else, the goal for these events, come home healthy. Bobby Reagan, Yamaha Brass, everybody, Monster, everybody's just holding their breath going, please, dude, just get out of here healthy. We, we know you want to make some money. We get it. This is your livelihood all understood, but please, please, please come home healthy because they want to defend a Supercross championship. They want all their marketing and they want a number one plate and they want all those things, which they, they earn and they deserve and they want to be able to capitalize on that stuff. Uh, Tomac probably riding 85, 90%. That's my, that's my guess. He didn't look like he was really pushing, to be honest. And why would he? based off of kind of what I just told you, he understands the dynamic too. It is a, it's a profit center for him, right? This is a very profitable weekend, which as far as income, there was no risk. And why would he take any risk on the results side for something that could only create downside, right? If he didn't win, who cares? If Roxon won, who cares? Like I can guarantee you it's not any sort of level of importance that he would have in America or motocross nations or anything like that. It's just, I've been to these races 150 times, right? Maybe 200. I've been to these types of events and the atmosphere is relaxed. Guys just want to get there, make some money, put in a good effort and go home. That's, that's really all there is to it. So I got what I thought Tomac was good. It was good enough. You know, he just needed to go there and, and ride and get good starts and the rest would take care of itself, which it did. I did hear Tomac was getting offered huge amounts of money in the pits for to go to Australia. I haven't heard anything about him going. I don't think he will go, but I did hear rumors of the promoter group just throwing absurd amounts of money at him to do the Australian round as well. So we'll see. I haven't heard a word of it since then, so I, I doubt that it's going to happen. But you can't blame him, right? He's your World Supercross points leader. You want to validate the series. You want to validate that championship. And you also want to have arguably the, the best rider in the world at the moment at your event. So I understand why they would just be throwing the world at him because it's a coup for them to have Tomac do both rounds, win the championship. All these things are, are really nice kind of uh, jewels that you can tuck away 
And if for everybody saying, oh, your series ain't going to work, well, you, got, you just had Tomac, the best rider in the world at both rounds, is now your champ, all those things. That's what they're, that's what they're going for. I just don't, I don't necessarily think that that's what they're going to get. So we'll see. We'll see on that. The Roxon thing, this whole Honda Roxon thing is, is strange, right? My opinion, uh, Ken Roxon and his manager, Steve Astvin, I think they overplayed their hand a little bit. And, and I like both of those guys. I'm, I'm personal friends with Steve Astvin. I've spent a lot of time with him. I'm vacationed with him. I used to be around him all the time when he was Chad Reed's manager. I really like Steve. And this isn't a personal thing. I, I, I'm just trying to be objective. But I think he and Kenny both overplayed their hand a little bit. And we will see in the end if I'm right or wrong. But I think that, you know, they signed this World Supercross deal. It was stupid money, right? I heard somewhere in the range of 200000 a race. Right or wrong, I don't know. I, I, that's what I believe, though, Two hundred k. So... Originally, it was three rounds, so you figure he's getting 600K, and I heard it was actually more than that. I heard it was 250, but I heard then I was told that was wrong, so I'm going to say 200, even if it's 150, 175, whatever. I think they looked at that and said, well, we're not turning that down, come hell or high water, and we will manage the Honda situation on the back end, right? We'll ask for forgiveness versus asking for permission. That's probably the best way to put it, because... After all, I, you know, we're Ken Roxon, right? When I'm talking for both of them, we are Ken Roxon, and we will find a solution for it because it's not like Honda's not going to re-sign us. That's what they're thinking going in. This is months and months and months ago when they did this deal. Well, I think they overplayed that because Honda was like, no, no, we, we don't support this series. We don't want you to go, and we're not going to honor your offer if you decide to go, which was pretty wild, right? To see that go on between those two, to see that disconnect in the lines of thinking where Kenny, his management thought, we'll figure it out. They'll they'll still support me. I'll still get a deal and I'll get to pull these races off. It'll all work out in the end. Everybody will calm down. It doesn't seem like it's going that way. You saw this week, Honda went out and signed Colt Nichols for a second Honda guy. That's a pretty big shot across the bow for the, if you were in the camp of, you know, where else is Kenny going to go? Of course, he's going to resign at Honda. They'll figure it out. That's a pretty big warning sign that Honda's like, yeah, we're just going to move on. We have Sexton and Jet coming and yeah, you know, if you want to play hard and I'm putting words in Honda's mouth, understand that, right? They may not think this way at all. I'm just giving you my perception of the dynamic is like Honda's like, yeah, if you, that's the route you want to take, fine. We'll go. We're set. We have guys coming, and we don't have to have Ken Roxon in our stable. Do we, do we want Kenny? Of course. But he also made a choice here. You know, We told him, don't do this, and he did it anyway. So that's kind of what's, what I think is happening behind the scenes. Now, is there a chance that they work this out and Kenny still races a Honda in Supercross? Of course there is, right? He could end up on Firepower Honda alongside um, Dean Wilson and these guys that are there, he could end up at MCR alongside Justin Brayton or whoever, you know, Vince Freezy, whoever ends up there. There are solutions that could be had here where Honda could support him, not have him on the factory team, and everybody would live to see another day. You know, it's hyperbolic, but 
that could still happen. That's not out of the realm of possibility. But for right now, it doesn't seem like it's going real well. You look at Red Bull straight rhythm, Kenny's racing a Yamaha, okay? And that was, I don't think that was like, hey, F you, Honda. I think Yamaha has a great 252 stroke and it was an opportunity to have a really good bike and do something different. There was a little bit of a power play there, I think, too. I think Kenny was sending a signal like, hey, Honda, if you don't want to help me, I can go somewhere else and people probably will, you know, so I don't know who wins out here, but it's high level chess happening. I don't know who's making the smart play or not. That's yet to be seen. I think there will be a winner and a loser in this dynamic or maybe shades of gray of who ends up, you know, because I think both of them think they have leverage here. I think both of them perceive that they have the upper hand in the negotiating. I don't know who does. Typically, it's the employer that has leverage. That's usually how it goes. But we're also dealing with a world-class racer and one of the most marketable talents on earth, which is Ken Roxon. So maybe that dynamic shifts towards him. I, I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion of how this is all going to play out. I really don't. I could see it going so many different ways. I've heard rumors that Kenny was going to have his own team. That seems like a very bad idea to me. It's such a huge capital spend on the front end. It's such a huge investment. So much risk. So much work. I, Man, I watched it happen. I've watched it happen with several people, but Chad Reed I was the closest to, and man, it doesn't... I just don't like how that goes. I don't like the risk. I don't like how much money you have to put into play to get things up and going. And then, you know, how long are you going to race for forever? No. Right. So at some point, all this has to then get sold off and at pennies on the dollar, typically, right. You buy all these things and a lot of them then have no value at some point. It's just not a good, it's not a good business dynamic in my opinion to do that. So hopefully he can find a place to land. I'm sure his clothing sponsor will keep him and re-sign him and all those things. We'll, we'll see, right? I'm sure Red Bull will be a part of whatever he decides to do. So he has things in his corner. Um, but definitely, definitely one of the biggest stories of the offseason is, is Ken Rocks and how that all plays out. Vince Freezy, third place guy, he was great. Um, yeah, I think this format is very good for him, right? Shorter races. He's such an amazing starter, always has been. He's very good at playing defense, right? He's, he can block well. I don't love the way he goes about that, but he's good at it. Uh, but I didn't see any egregious moves from him at all. I'm not going to take any, any unwarranted shots at him. Um, he just rode a, a great race all night long, super solid, the whole day, the whole night, um, and got a big payday for it. So congrats to him. Nice work. Um, nothing negative to say. Justin Brayton was all right. I honestly thought he would be better. You know, he had been preparing for this for a long time. This is, uh, you know, what he's good at, these off-season races. And he didn't kind of blow me away with speed or didn't really move forward. Um, it wasn't bad, you know, don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't one of his more impressive off-season performances, in my opinion. So watch for him in Australia. He's, you know, he's won Australian championship, who knows how many times, three, four times. He'll probably be better in Australia. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. He was, he was okay. Um, I just thought he would be on the podium, and, and uh, he wasn't. I, I didn't expect Vince Freezy to beat him. 
So, um, I, I, you know, other than that, you know, Shane McElrath wins the 250 class, whatever. Wasn't, uh, wasn't a whole lot to talk about outside of that. You know, I thought the Super Bowl thing was cool. You know, that they've been doing that at Bercy forever. You know, I've done it a ton of times. Um, that's, you know, everybody was like, oh, man, that's such a cool thing. Well, yeah, it's been going on for a long time. Maybe in World Supercross it's, it's new, but that's not, a, that's not a new format or anything um it is cool like i i think it's very entertaining for the fans it's always something that people were into at the race and if we brought it to america i'd be cool with that too um it just wasn't like some sort of innovative thing they're like oh look at what we invented no come on that's been going on for decades in europe that that's just a normal part of their racing formats for these off-season races so um, we'll see. I mean, it, there wasn't, like I said, it was just kind of blah. There wasn't a lot to really talk about in the actual racing to me, which I covered in the first part of this podcast, the behind the scenes stuff, the business side, the dynamics of like these OEMs wanting nothing to do with this series was what is, is way more interesting. Like you look at none of the teams wanted to support this, Right. The KTM group, which is like Husky, KTM, Gas Gas, basically from what I was told, they wanted nothing to do with the series. They disallowed their riders from going. They weren't allowed to attend, right? And Honda, obviously with Roxen, they made the same approach. I don't know the dynamic with Yamaha. I'm, I'm surprised that Tomac was able to go. Maybe it's just because it's Tomac. Tomac can kind of do what he wants, I think, and he's earned that right. But I don't see any OEMs or main industry sponsors aligning with this group as of yet. Maybe that changes. Maybe that shifts. We will see, but not yet. It has not happened yet. And there seems to be pretty hard lines being crossed or, well, not being crossed, being drawn is the word I'm looking for there. And you're either on one side or the other. And I don't know that that's a good thing. That doesn't seem like it's a positive for anybody, but they certainly seem to be apparent. That seems to be the situation for good or for bad. I do want to thank Pirelli Tires. Uh, they had that uh, mid-soft mini tire that came out about a year and a half ago. That is a great tire for all of you mini riders. If you're a dad and you're, your kid races, go check those out. Great straight line traction. The MX-32, Scorpion 32 mid-soft is my favorite tire they make. Of course, they have the paddle tire, or scoop tire, I should say. Uh, that is an incredible tire. That's more your uh, Scorpion Soft. That's what all the MXGP guys use. That's what everybody used at Redbud that are Pirelli tire, um, you know, sponsored riders or, or customers. That's something they, honestly, they kind of innovated that. Like everybody that is going scoop has been following Pirelli's lead on that. And make no mistake, everybody can say that's not true or whatever it is. It is because that's been going on in, in uh, Europe for a very long time. So thank you to Pirelli. Uh, Plum Creek Funding is now licensed in Florida. So if you are looking to buy a house and you have questions, or if you're in a state that maybe they don't work in yet, um, I had a, uh, a friend of mine that just bought a house in Utah that they were able to connect with Plum Creek Funding. They were able to refer them to a broker in Utah and get a deal done. So reach out to Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding, ask questions, find out how he can help you. He can do your deal, right? If, if you're in a, a state that he is licensed in, but if not, he could probably connect you with a friend. So you're, in, you're still in that moto community and you're trusting and working with good people and you're obviously supporting each other because we all have common interests. So Zach Morris, you can reach him at 
212-4685. Guts Racing. Now, I think the coolest graphics of the year, period, were the Husqvarna graphics, the throwback stuff that the standing construct Husqvarna ran in Sweden. And then uh, the Husky guys, I think they used it at Paula. I think. Whatever round that was in the U.S., I think it was one of the last rounds they ran it out. That stuff was amazing. They can do custom seats. They can do all kinds of great things. Um, they're actually breaking into uh, the uh, e-bike community as well. That's a really cool thing from, from Guts Racing. So you can get a Guts Racing uh, e-bike seat cover and they seats, and they have all kinds of products there. So check out GutsRacing.com. You can go to at Guts Racing on their Instagram and, and find out more. But that's a, a brand new segment for them is this e-bike side. And if you've been paying attention, if you haven't been living under a rock, then you already know that e-bikes are everywhere, right? It's such an exploding part of, I want to say our industry because it's all kind of the same people. You know, a lot of people that are riding moto are on e-bikes and e-bikes and moto. It's, it's a lot of the same group and a lot of the same companies. So really cool and exciting things from, uh, from Guts Racing there. Uh, TL Speed Shop. Do you like power sports? Obviously. That's why you're listening to this podcast. They have such a great experience in Arizona. You can do a Sedona ride. You can do like wine tasting rides. You can go to the Grand Canyon. You can do Baja. So what happens is you can fly in. They pick you up. You meet up with them. They have all the side-by-sides, all the equipment. They have food, drinks, everything. And it's basically like you ride to a destination. And if you have an idea, they can probably work that out too. So they're really open-minded. They do all types of corporate events, right? If you have like some sort of corporate team gathering, team building, getaway, maybe it's for you and your family for vacation. This is what they specialize in. If you go to, uh, to Wickenburg and they can customize a whole trip for you. It's in Wickenburg, Arizona. They have everything dialed in. Um, they, you basically fly into Phoenix and then you go everywhere, right? It, it's such a cool thing. And and side-by-sides are really keeping the power sports industry alive right now. It's such an exploding industry and has been for about five years now. But these guys know all the tricks. And you don't need any equipment, right? It's, it's super plug-and-play. You fly in and you're dialed. You have a great time. They know every nook and cranny of all these routes and places to go. And uh, just what an amazing opportunity and adventure that TL Speed Shop has waiting for you. Works Connection, really exciting new product on the way. So they have brand new uh, foot peg mounts and foot pegs for the YZ250 and 450, okay? And they worked with Chris Kiefer on this. And, and if you ever listen to Chris Kiefer's podcast, which you probably have if you're listening to this, he's always talk about, talking about the rider triangle and the cockpit, right? And, and what that means is where you sit, how your arms are, and that whole, all the ergonomics of where your body is and how that affects, you know, the body English, body positioning, weighting the front wheel, which affects front end traction, like all those things happen based off of how the ergonomics are of a motorcycle are. And for me, right, I'm, I'm shorter. We all know that. So for me, that's really important because if a bike feels really big or really small, it can really affect if I like it or not. And that's, that's been a lot of my problem with the Yamaha in the past, not so much this current one, but in the past, you go back to 2011, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, the bike felt really big to me. It was really wide. It felt like I was kind of riding on it versus in it. Like I, did, I just didn't feel like I had as much control over it as I did like a, like a KTM at the time, or especially the later KTMs. 
they got really small. <clears throat> and I like that, right? And, and preferences differ. But for me, that triangle and the ergos are incredibly important. And I like that about the Hondas too. They felt really small and maneuverable where the Honda felt like it was, I was steering a ship where the smaller ergo bikes felt like I was steering a speedboat. And this is what Chris worked with Works Connection to change the ergos on, right? Make this uh, triangle more suitable to the Yamaha and, you know, and improve what is already a great Yamaha package. So that's going to be out in the next few weeks. So check that out. Uh, basically what they did was they brought the foot pegs seven millimeters lower and they brought the mount five millimeters back, right? And that from testing every possible dynamic, they really feel like this is a huge improvement. And, and I'm going to continue to talk about this. And as these things hit the market, I want to get some feedback on that. And I want to talk to Chris on exactly what that change. Why did he make these particular changes? But just be on the lookout. That is, that is definitely coming. And it's something that, uh, that Works Connection is going to be offering in, uh, in the next few weeks. Fast Foundry. Obviously, we know business is tough right now. Regardless of what our president has to say, we are, uh, we're in a tough economic environment right now. So if you have a small business, if you work for a company where you have input, Fast Foundry could be a great solution for you. They can make your company much more efficient. They can dial you in whether it's, it doesn't matter if it's a virtual event that you need to launch a new product. It could be payroll. It could be anything. These guys are the business experts and just like I mentioned with Plum Creek Funding, you can reach out to Robert Carrico and just ask questions. Like what I tend to do in these situations is I like to present a problem to an expert and let them tell me what the possibilities are, right? If you go in with like, hey, I think this is what we should do. I think you're, you are going in with too much bias and that gets you in trouble because you're not open-minded enough. Like let them present you with possibilities that you may not be thinking of. So that's what I would suggest is if you have identified a problem with your business, just present the problem and let them go to work on finding a solution that makes sense because they're going to look at it objectively and without any sort of preconceived notion of like, hey, this is going to work, that doesn't work, whatever. They're going to look at it from a completely different perspective that you have been. And that's really, really valuable. It, that's, that's my opinion in business, having someone who can look at it from a, a completely different angle than you've ever thought about is it doesn't get much more valuable than that. Pro glow wash. I mentioned if you have a dirt bike, if you have a side-by-side, -side, if you have a street bike, if you have a quad, and if you're listening to this hard to imagine, you don't use pro glow wash. Those guys are great people. They are motorsports and power sports enthusiasts. They have created this awesome product specifically designed and formulated for power sports. It's what it's made for. That's why you should use it. It's not built to clean your countertops, right? So why are you going to use something that's built to clean your countertops on your dirt bike or what, you know, something that has nothing to do with power sports. Why are you using that to clean your dirt bike? Go get pro glow wash, use it, use it on something or use a product that was intended for a specific use. And also they, they sponsor this podcast. We, we, I, I don't, I don't want to, assume you, but I try to support companies that support this sport. That, that's what I believe in. That's what has always been, you know, pounded into my head ever since I started working at Western power sports is we help people. They help us. This is a big community. It's a giant family of people trying to do, have fun doing the same things and we need to support each other even when times are difficult. So that doesn't have anything to do with pro glow, but 
check out their uh, check out their product. Uh, who else? Who am I forgetting here? Um, obviously, Grandstone boots. I have them. I'm actually looking at them in my suitcase right now. Going to get to wear them. Uh, there's a couple of restaurants here at the resort that you have to dress up for, so I'll be wearing my Grandstone boots when I go uh, when I go there. But um, yeah, otherwise, check out all the sponsors. Fly Racing, of course, is my uh, you know my everyday work and my passion. And uh, ten years, I in six days, I will have been lived in Boise for ten years, which is wild. That is crazy, but it is what it is. Time, uh, time slows for no one. Just keeps on marching on. Um, you know, I, I love working there. I love the people that we work with. Even when you know it, the dynamic changes, always it's a constantly evolving dynamic there. And sometimes the market, you know, the power sports market is incredible. Sometimes it's not, and you have to be nimble and and you have to uh, just keep moving anyway, right? Everybody's seen everything went crazy during COVID as far as business, everybody, you know, there was all this stimulus money and that's slowing down. So we're having to be smart and make sure that we're very in tune with the customer and what they want. Um, so we're listening. And if you have input, the reason I'm bringing that up is you have input. Like if you say, Hey, this is really what we want from your product and you're not delivering it. Please tell me like that is incredibly valuable information. People have focus groups and study groups and spend crazy amounts of money on data acquisition to learn that. So if you want to share that with me, please, please do. I will take that information all day long and try to implement it the best way we know how to get you products that maybe we're missing. Maybe we're not seeing the forest for the trees, you know, where we just have a huge blind spot somewhere. Please share that because in the end, we aren't, we won't be successful unless we're providing products that people want. So Anyway, that's it for this week. It's a lot longer than I, uh, I expected, uh, almost 49 minutes, but I enjoyed it. I'm um, happy to be here in Mexico taking some time off, and uh, please give me feedback on the podcast. What do you want to hear about and not hear about? Because, again, we're in the off-season, so we can talk about whatever we want. It doesn't have to be so race-focused. So if you have topics, if you have uh, things, you know, questions, I would love to answer those, things that you want discussed. Um, as you heard in this podcast, I can get really long winded on, on anything pretty much you want. So, uh, please submit those and, and I'm going to give out some prizes. Let's do that. Um, let's do some giveaways in the off season. So I'll start announcing some giveaways, um, get incentivize you guys for, uh, for writing in and, uh, yeah, I'll just do, I'll just do them randomly. I, I, I'm sure that our great sponsors will allow that. So um, please, please in, send in questions. You can send them to jason36 at aol.com. And uh, until next week, thanks again.